Get your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome in. It's Balloon Party driven by Munganass, St. Louis Acura. Timothy Michael McKernan, Action Jackson with you here on the Rodeo Program. Darren Pang is going to be with us coming up at 10.15. We welcome you to be a part of the show by using the 101 ESPN app to play a mic drop. Or you can text in the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. Jackson, tell me what the good word is because we haven't just been talking to each other for the last three hours on TMA. Oh, the good word is we had some incredible baseball last night. It's cool to get like October atmosphere baseball before the major in the month of March. Yeah, it's awesome. So you love to see that last night. DP five sevens return to the STL. Pretty you know, pretty good night in uh in sports last evening. And then of course the tournament tomorrow and then, you know, coming up on baseball season. It's a great time to be a sports fan. I uh, I went from on these very airwaves I think somebody asked, am I interested in the World Baseball Classic? I said, no, I'm not. And then the next thing I know, Trey Turner, it's a grand slam on Saturday night. And then Trey Turner, it's another home run. Paul Goldschmidt and Arnado were raking before last night, although Arnado had a hit. Uh, and I'm locked in. And for me, getting up as early as I do to stay up uh, to watch a non-Cardinals or Blues game, and even more particular, a non-postseason Cardinals or Blues game, uh, is very rare. But that's what that game did last night, creating the ultimate set of circumstances, the showdown between two of the game's greats, the teammates, Shoei Otani and Mike Trout. Uh, Jackson, do you happen to have that final at-bat at your disposal. Absolutely. Here it is, Tim. Three and two from Otani. He throws. Trout strikes out swinging. Otani and Japan celebrate a World Baseball Classic Championship. And on this night, the great Shohei Otani in Japan just a little bit better than Mike Trout and USA. What an ending to an all-time tournament. It really was. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it was about this one that I felt got more people watching than previous years, but for whatever reason. This one started to pick up some some real real traction. Uh, Jeff Passan uh, was talking about uh, the WBC and uh, and why players loved it so much. Do you happen to have that soundbite uh, available? Absolutely, Jackson. Tim. I have it right, right here. Let's take a listen. The fact. 
fact that they're looking at it with such importance, I think is a surprise to a lot of fans who thought, hey, this is just an exhibition. This is just a tournament that was made up. It only goes back to 2006. This is only the fifth time around. We have to understand something like this takes time to grow. And the quality of the games that we've seen, the fact that you, you have as many players speaking as highly about it as they have. And this isn't just from the teams that have won. This is the teams that have lost as well. Players afterwards saying, this is one of the best experiences of my life. Beyond that, though, I think it's something for fans to look at and say, hey, it's March. The Major League Baseball season hasn't even begun yet, and we're getting baseball of this quality, October caliber baseball. I know when I look back on 2023, I'm going to remember a really great tournament and a really great display of this game. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, actually. Yeah. Uh, somebody t- somebody just texted this in, and I think there may be a real nice theory uh, or credibility to the theory. It's because we've, in the United States, we value our local teams over our national teams, and that is something that uh, is unlike many other countries. I think there could be something to that. I suppose if you wanted to apply that uh, thought process to college football, College football in the United States is so popular in the South in particular because many of the schools in the SEC, those are the quote unquote professional teams. And I suppose you could probably take the quotes off of that uh, because, you know, for example, in Arkansas, you don't have a major league team in Little Mm -hmm. Rock and in Mississippi, you don't have a major league team in Alabama, you don't have a major league team in South Carolina. And, uh, you know, I suppose you've got the Jacksonville Jaguars relatively close to uh, Gainesville. But Florida, certainly Georgia has uh, Atlanta nearby Athens. But the point is they become the teams that people obsess over year round. And you can apply that to the World Baseball Classic. This was a huge deal for a lot of other countries, whereas many in the United States are like, why are these players risking their Major League Baseball seasons to play in this thing? And I think it was quotes, for example, from players like Adam Wainwright that communicated to fans in the United States just how significant this was for the guys playing for the United States. And once I think you saw that emotion, I know that's for me when I saw Trey Turner's grand slam against Venezuela, I'm like, holy crap, these guys are really into this thing. And that atmosphere is what drew me to the competition. Yeah. I think, and also th- that they so rarely, you know, for fans rarely get to see, you see the all-star game, but that's also, that's an exhibition, but to see all these great players all on one team and get to watch that is awesome. And for the players, they so rarely get to like represent their country. So when they do, it's a very special time. And I think this year, more so than ever, the influx of young talent being able to represent their country either for the first time or second time is really, really awesome. And we, you know, there's powers all over the world. We saw it with Shohei Otani, like with the Dominican team, with the Puerto Rican team. There's so much talent all over the world that it's really a, a very interesting thing to watch. And again, it's in March uh, to kind of kick off the baseball season. I think this is great for Major League Baseball and baseball as a game and, and as a whole. And uh, meanwhile, at the exact same time, so I was in flipping mode 
last night because uh, I wanted to see the response for David Perron, and he certainly got one hell of a response. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford joined us on TMA about an hour ago. We were talking about it. Uh, saw some of the comments from his former teammates that that was one of the loudest ovations for a former Blue they had ever heard. David Perron last night, in addition to Vili Husso and Jake Wallman, but David Perron in particular for that second uh, TV timeout, got a monster ovation. And the Blues did something a little bit differently with that ovation. Uh, Craig Berube talked about that following the game. Perron tribute, you know, often see teams come up onto the ice. What led to that, you think, with your guys? Well, he was a well-respected guy here. Uh, did a lot for this team and organization. I mean, you know, very well-liked guy. Well-deserved. Craig Berube following the game as to why the team made sure that it paid uh, its respect to David Perron by standing out on the ice, and that is something that they wanted to do. I saw Braden Shen talking it over and saying, uh, it was just kind of the, the, the way that they, they feel about him and his respect for the organization that he's missed. And they wanted to salute him. And he certainly got that from not just his teammates, but from everybody at Enterprise Center last night. The Blues wind up losing uh, to the Red Wings day off today in Detroit tomorrow. But one hell of an ovation for David Perron. We will talk about that coming up in a matter of moments with Darren Pang, who will join us at 10.15. And where is he today, Jackson? Edmonton. Edmonton. Well, I feel like he's in Edmonton a good amount. Edmonton or West Coast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, he is in Edmonton uh, today. He is uh, on the TNT call for uh, the oil tonight. Uh, Lisa, and what do you describe Lisa as? She's texting in. She's a gem. Okay. Uh, Lisa says, morning. It was so fun, as the old adage goes. Great pitching shuts down great hitting. We need pitching, LOL. That's from Lisa. Well, the uh, Japanese team had uh, seven pitchers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So it was not like they sent out uh, some 2013 version of Clayton Kershaw last night. It was a combination, and who would have thought that that game would have five total runs scored? Meanwhile, over at Roger Dean Stadium, I was in attendance to watch Jack Flaherty pitch against a Washington Nationals lineup that candidly, outside of Corey Dickerson, Matt Adams, and Victor Robles, I had no idea who these people were, Um, but they were able to get to Jack Flaherty, which was a little concerning. Um, it's one thing if, you know, you're facing the Houston Astros, which is who Jack Flaherty had basically exclusively faced this spring. But uh, it's another thing if it's a random Washington Nationals lineup. And it's not to say that he was hammered, but he did give up nine hits and two runs. Uh, Flaherty said he was more focused on uh, his release and the quality of his pitches than he was the results. He said he's looking forward to the day when uh, he stops getting asked by you guys, as in the media, uh, about his velocity, because he feels like everything is there and ready to go. But either way, it was not a real impressive performance from Jack Flaherty yesterday as the Cardinals and Nationals finished in a 4-4 tie. It was an odd thing. I was, I was there with my wife, uh, her parents, and my two sons, and also some people from St. Gabriel's which uh, is down here for a uh, grade school basketball officiating convention <laughs> that is held every year in Palm Beach for the for at least the premier blue blood grade school basketball programs yeah. around the country. Right. 
And uh, and so and then also KG and O-Town, TikTok legend, uh, was sitting with us. And uh, when my son asked who won, and I said, well, I don't know what to tell you. It was a, a 4-4. He goes, but who won? I said, well, they decided to shut her down because the game didn't really matter. And I could tell a look of confusion came across the face because I think at this age, this is the this is the time of year uh, or time in a child's life where, as I recall, that you're told that the game ended in a tie, even though you had a pretty good idea that you either won by a lot or lost by a lot because they didn't want there to be winners and losers, Jackson. Yeah, I assume at Ledoux, though, they just always said you guys won. But uh, was this something that you grew up with, that there aren't winners and losers and everybody finished in a tie? Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember having, like, championship games and stuff where, like, we had to decide an outcome. Uh, I don't remember ever a time where, like, a game, like, ended in regulation with a tie and then there was nothing decided afterwards. But I didn't play soccer growing up, so maybe that is uh, a reason why. I know draws in soccer are very popular. But no, I always decide the winner, and of course it will do. We always won. Wow, unbelievable! Your thoughts on that? Please text them in immediately. Three one four three nine 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 six four six. That's how you can text into the Air Comfort Service uh, text line. Uh, all right, Darren Pang is going to join us on the other side of the break. We always enjoy our conversations with Panger. That is coming up next. You are listening to Balloon Party, driven by Munganas, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota here on One Hundred One ESPN. Back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time to talk blues hockey with Darren Pang. Holy jump! And wow. What a save! Refreshed by Urban Chestnut Brewing Company and their Urban Underdog Lager. Prost. Welcome back. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. It is driven by Munganass, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota online at stlouisacura.com and altontoyota.com. And it is our pleasure to welcome to the radio presentation, ladies and gentlemen, live from Edmonton, it's Darren Pang. Good morning, Panger. Well, good morning to you. This is uh, a world, um, I think this is the world, like I, I'm not sure if it's a leader in, in radio shows at uh, no, it's not. You, you know, you guys aren't that far yet. Uh, but anyway, right. you guys are doing a heck of a job, and I'm glad to join you from Edmonton, pal. It's, oh, my gosh. No snow on the ground, but it's really quiet. Really quiet. Really nice. What, 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 are, the, what are the temperatures like in Edmonton, Alberta? At uh, what, what time are we talking there? Uh, 9.19, I guess? 8.19? It is 9.19 here in Edmonton. I'm going to look at Hold on a second. I got a nice book. All I see oh, is I a hockey that. rink, uh, snow on top, um, dog park, concrete, um, it looks to me like it is um, 34 degrees Fahrenheit out there, if I can see. You have officially yeah, given 34 right. degrees as our temperature this yeah, morning in Edmonton, could, for those of you uh, live streaming from wrong, Edmonton. But, but, yeah, but it, I could be wrong, but that, that's pretty close right there. I'm, I'm sitting back, I'm having a nice, beautiful coffee, I'm looking at some hockey notes, and I'm, I'm thinking about how poor you chip at this time of year, and I'm wondering if your confidence is going to be shattered by the time me and Patty Maroon play that match at, the, at Meadowbrook. Uh, because when you start getting the jitters chipping around the Bermuda that's a little flat and bare like, like it is right now, like can you regain your confidence, Tim? I mean, that's, well, it's that's a, really it's a great question. It's the, it's the right question to ask. Yep. Candidly, uh, with our fivesome, 
of uh, ball strikers, uh, oftentimes compared yeah. to Corey Connors' caliber ball striking. Uh, we don't expect to have to worry about chipping. We are greens in regulation specialists. Oh, okay. So I better look out for that. The greens in regulation specialist. <laughs> yes, that's what we're known as, the GERS. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know. That's what that's what this. You know what? That's what this award-winning radio show should be called, The Gers. It's The yes, Gers. That's like right. That's I'm into it. Are. Now it's all coming together. Greens and regulation specialists. That's what we are. So there will be no chipping. It'll be just nothing but rolling them in from 60 feet, as uh, this poor Chris Nagel can can absolutely to, uh, attest to, Panger. Yeah, I saw him. The, I saw him the other day at that metal book, and he only made nine birdies. So I, <laughs> I, I felt really bad for him. <laughs> yeah, it's another tough round. Uh, tough round for Nagel. I know you are in Edmonton, um, but uh, certainly one of the buzz uh, topics in St. Louis this morning is the reception David Perron received. I don't think that's particularly surprising. But uh, I know David Perron greatly appreciated it, and he got an, an extra gesture from the Blues as they stood on the ice to salute a fan favorite and also uh, a team favorite as well, Panger. Yeah, there is, there is no doubt. If, if the fans didn't tell uh, David Perron how much they loved him, um, they were certainly telling they're probably telling Doug Armstrong how much they loved him, to be <laughs> quite honest with you. They were telling everybody how much they loved him. I mean, and, and not only because he's an, you know, like uh, an old favorite and a competitive player, he's, you know, he, he, he also gave back to the city. He also loved the city back. He didn't want to leave. And so with all that in mind, I, I expected nothing less than what the Blues fans gave him last night. And it choked me up, to be quite honest with you. Obviously, I wasn't there. Jamie Rivers and John Kelly had the call of the game, but... I made sure that I watched that uh, with Wi-Fi on the plane and got a chance to see that whole moment. And, and uh, in fact, I sent DP a text saying, I'm sorry I missed it because it, it uh, you know, it, it, he goes back a long way there. Yes, he left and came back. Um, but but I, I think the way that he played last year too, even more so than the Stanley Cup year, the way that he drove the, the power play, the way that he drove the offense, the way that he drove the intensity in the room when, it, when, when times – uh, when it may have looked like the room um, wasn't coming together as a group, he, he's, he's a bit of a pain in the ass, and he'd be the first to tell you, okay? He, and, and, and it's his energy, and it's his love for the team, and it's his ability to, to tell somebody to, to shut, you know, basically shut up, and, we're do, you know, and, and this is for the team, you know? And yeah. a lot of guys don't have that inside them to say that to other guys, Um and, and that's, you know, maybe where the team is right now, it's a relatively quieter team. And and losing a guy like David Prawn that kept other guys accountable and kind of drove people nuts in that room because of his high-octane energy and constant analysis uh, in a good way, um, yeah, is missed. And so, anyway, nice moment for, for Dave last night. I don't know how he played after that after they had that about two-and-a-half-minute uh, nice little uh, warm celebration because those eyes had to be just swollen. They looked to me like they were – and then he they were, yeah, they were. That. I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> that was tough. Had to be they, tough. They, they absolutely were. Hey, I was listening to a, an interview you did yesterday with the uh, the fine people on uh, the opening drive, uh, Randy Carricker, Kerry Davis, and Brooke Grimsley, along with the, the great Matt Rocchio, uh, talking about what's going on with the Blues goaltending situation and what has been a, a surprising, I think in a couple of different ways, with both Joel Hofer's performance, but then also the Blues deciding 
to keep him up. Sure, the Blues lost last night in a shootout, but he was the number three star. 28 saves last night. And in, in this uh, interview you, yesterday, Panger, you were talking about uh, how this is a real positive for the Blues because not only do you now have somebody who's who's playing so well, a young guy playing so well, but also how uh, it will it will push Jordan Bennington. So first question is, are you surprised by A, the performance, B, the Blues keeping him up? And then I want to I want to expound uh, on on how this dynamic will evolve with the Blues net minding situation. Yeah, am I surprised by the performance? I mean, and one thing I wanted to say yesterday was, hey, listen, he's only played four games, now five games. Right, in small NHL, sample size. So it, it, it very much is. But you also only have one chance to make a good first impression and show people not only in your locker room, but you know around the league that, that uh, boy, you've got a lot of qualities that are for real for this league. And, and so for that, um, yeah, I'm totally impressed, absolutely, how he stepped in, how he's played, how he's, you know, we, we use calmness an awful lot. I, I mean, I, I think calmness is, is something that I should probably explain sometimes. Calmness is a two-on-one break, and you look at the net. Before you even look at the shooters, you look at the net. Is he, are his feet moving back and forth? Is he, are his angles good? Is he, is he squirming around? Is he fidgety? Um, or, or does he just look like he's in the middle of the net and calm and not moving until the shot comes his way? That's, that's kind of what I've seen from him so far. So that, that part's been impressive. The part about pushing Bennington, um, there's a funny way of saying that because that almost sounds like Bennington needs to be pushed, which isn't true. Uh, he, he, as we've seen this year, um, if he hasn't been the, the best goalie on most nights, I, I don't know who has on this team or who the best player on most nights. I don't know who has yeah. been. The, the Blues have, you know, I mean, let's face it, Tim, the Blues have given up way too many quality chances in the slot. They're one of the, they're one of the highest percentage, and I mean, that's the worst. Of, of quality shots in, in, you know, in the, in the high slot area, or you want to the inner slot area or the, the home plate area, whatever you want to call it. Anybody can watch the game of hockey and say, okay, that they should have scored from there. I mean, and that's, so that's how good he was. But in saying all that, then, um, you know, Thomas Grace comes in on a one way deal. He's a 37 year old goaltender. Everybody really knew that uh, Joel Hofer was going to be the next guy up. And so now you've got a, a long-term partner a long-term you know competitor with you and so yeah that's what's going to make it more competitive and that's what's going to push both of them for next year they both want to play so uh, I, I am looking forward to that I think Joel's a really respectful guy I don't think he walked into there that locker room put his pads out there looked at everybody and said this is my net he's not he's not that way he wasn't brought up that way he's a he's a great kid he's just you know he's got a different demeanor than maybe that 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 Jordan has um, but I think they both have that fire in their belly and they'll both show it in different ways. So um, all in all, if I'm Doug Armstrong and his staff, I'm looking at the goaltending for next year. I see the whiteboard and I go check. Okay, we're good. That's what I, yeah. that's what I say. There's you know, no question marks. Okay. Can Joel Hofer play next year? Or do we have to get another goalie? Are we bringing, you know, uh, Thomas back in for another year? No, I think the answer is quite clear right now that their goaltending is going to be just fine next year to be competitive in this league. Darren Pang with us. He will be on the call tonight of the Oilers and the Coyotes up in Edmonton. Panger with us every Wednesday here on the award-winning, and I want to emphasize that, award-winning Balloon Party presentation. Yep, it's award-winning. Yes. Where's Jackson been this morning? (laughs) He's probably looking at uh, Phoenix Suns game film while you're looking at Arizona Coyotes game film. That's what I would have to guess, Panger. Yeah, I'm here. Didn't the great 
Didn't the great Phoenix Sun broadcaster just retire? I'm not sure about that. Well, know. nice knowledge, oh, show yeah? prep Jackson. Yeah, I know. I, well, we were going to get to the Suns in the fourth segment, so I was going to look in, in between uh, like 1035. So that's you. on me. I should have been I'm ready. Yeah, you should have been ready. You should, okay, should, you should look it up because he's, a, he's one of the very best that's ever been, and he reti- he's going to retire, or he is retiring. Panger, on behalf looking- of, of Jackson, I would, I'd like to apologize for him not having that information ready. That's on me. That's really well, on he's, me. He, you know, he should be looking at it on Google right now, but I'm going to do it instead. So I'm going to – Al <laughs> McCoy – We're going to get to the Al, bottom of this. Here you go. Al McCoy will retire at the end of the 22-23 season. He's been there since 1972 in his 51st season with the Suns. Wow. He is the longest tenured broadcaster in NBA history. Oh, wow. my goodness, Jackson. That's unbelievable. Well, I hope it ends in a, in a championship for him, KD, Devin Booker, and the Suns. Wow. Now, finally, you're awake. Yeah, now, now that's, <laughs> that's all you had to do. A, yeah. No wonder the show is award-winning. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a Phoenix Suns talk show on middays in St. Louis. Sure, is it a questionable program decision? Yeah, it is. But we're just playing the hits here. Yep. Phoenix Suns basketball in St. Louis. It's hmm. the only way to go in my book, but, you know. Who's counting? Panger, I'm going to go out and uh, work on uh, my chipping, and uh, I look forward to seeing you and Patty Maroon uh, sometime soon. Sounds good. Don't get that jittery left lower hand, okay? (laughs) Keep that left hand firm. Oh, I'm breaking the wrist. It looks beautiful. Left hand pronated, okay? Don't be flipping it, okay, buddy? I I am. I am. I mean, the spin, it's just checking up so gently. It's going to be a a sight to behold for you and Patty Maroon. Yeah. Illegal grooves. Illegal grooves. <laughs> Darren Pang with us here on Wednesday. Take it easy, Panger. Okay, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Panger. You too. That's Darren Pang with us live from Edmonton, uh, where he will be on TNT tonight. Oils and Coyotes doing battle. Edmonton taking on Arizona this evening. Good breakdown there on the Blues net minding uh, situation. That certainly is a positive to emerge here from the last uh, week or so with uh, Joel Hofer and uh, how things look for the Blues from a goaltending situation going into next year. All right, Jackson, I've got this is a topic that we have discussed on the show before, and I have found it really gets people uh, going. But when I tell the story of what I observed, I think, I think I could be wrong. I think this is an all timer. This is an all timer on a topic that has gotten people going before. And you might be going, well, what is the topic that has gotten people going before the topic, parents and children playing sports. But when I tell you what I observed, I think you will agree this may be an all timer. I will tell you the story on the other side of the break. This is Balloon Party driven by Munganas St. Louis Acura on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. This is Balloon Party 101 ESPN. My name is Tim McKernan. That is Action Jackson. And the program is presented to you by Munganass, St. Louis Stacker, and Alton Toyota. All right, Jackson, I deep teased this before the segment, our uh, previous segment with uh, Darren Pang, which you can go back and listen to via the Dobbs Tire and Auto Center podcast. Uh, did we, first off, on a, on a 1 to 10, just because I'm 
really insecure. How would you rank my tease? Number one would be, I'm not really all that interested in what you teased for me, Tim. And number 10, I can't wait to hear this story that Tim teased right before the commercial break. And do not lie to me. I own souls. So by your vocal pattern, I will know whether or not you're BSing me. 7.8. And I say that because, really? yeah, I'm a, I'm a very interested in this topic. Uh, I find it to be uh, a phenomenon and something that I think affects a lot of both kids and parents across the nation. So yeah, 7.9, almost reaching that, that, eight, that eight score on the T's, on the T's scale. I feel like you're lying because initially you said 7.8 and then you said 7.9. So it I? seems like you're just oh. giving out numbers. That's what it seems like to me. Well, but yeah. the uh, go ahead, go ahead if you'd like to defend no, yourself. No, no, well, no. I, I listen. I'm, uh, I'm a tough, I'm a tough judge of a tease, you know, because I love myself a good tease. And I thought that was a very, you know, almost an 8.0 tease. Okay, fair enough. So here's here's the topic, which we have discussed on this show before, and I, and it wasn't necessarily intending to discuss the topic. Uh, it's just something I probably just passed through and saw how many texts we would get on the topic. So clearly it's something that, is, as Jackson just made reference to, it gets people going, whether it be uh, people who are, you know, relatively speaking, fresh out of playing in high school or college or parents or grandparents who see it, perhaps, unfortunately, they might say, yeah, I might have been that person myself. Uh, and that is parents and how they conduct themselves with regards to their their kids' sports. So, you know, I have a five-year-old, a five-year-old son and a one-year-old son. So I'm in, I'm in the top of the first on all of this stuff. But, I, but having done radio and television for 20 plus years in St. Louis, I've, I've, I've been, I've heard horror stories for a while and it sounds like it has gotten worse recently. Now, why that is the case, I don't know. I think one of the theories is, uh, as opposed to when I was growing up in South city and you could play CYC sports and everybody played and it didn't really cost much money. Uh, now uh, you have people paying, a lot of money for specialized teams, what is called select, although it's not, may not necessarily be select. It could be pay to play, so to speak, that because now parents have more skin in the game, they may feel like they have more ownership in the game. That is one of the theories that's been passed along. But in this case, Jackson, in this particular quote unquote sport of the story, I am about to tell you and the people listening to our program on 101 ESPN. This, from my standpoint, is something I could not believe I was witnessing. My wife was there to see it as well, and we were with our five-year-old son. There is a miniature golf uh, course. Is that what you call it? Would it be a miniature golf course? Yeah, a mini golf course. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, that is, oh, I would say maybe a five-minute walk away from Roger Dean Stadium. So for those of you who have been to Jupiter, Florida for Cardinal Spring Training, you may have seen it. And uh, my five-year-old son, we took him there a couple of years ago, and uh, we took him there uh, this week. And we were on the miniature golf course. It's not something that I thought people take all of that too seriously right now jackson just before i i tell the story is miniature golf something that people take seriously not to my 
knowledge or you know my experiences it's always it's a good first date spot uh something to do with your family on vacation kind of mix it up a little bit and it's usually taken pretty lightly considering there's usually windmills and all sorts of undulations around there uh shoots and whatnot shoots and whatnot yeah there's always Uh, pick a shoot and you gotta pick one and it fires it down now i know exactly what you're saying so you know, it's it's the three of us. I can't recall what day it was. It was just a couple of days ago. And we're at this miniature golf course, and there aren't many people around. And I don't know, a few holes away, there is a father with his two sons, and he begins berating. His, and I would say his son was probably in the age range, uh, the, the son that uh, he began arguing with, was probably in the age range of my son. My guess is six or seven. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what he did, but whatever he did, the father says to the son over on, oh, let's call it hole number seven of the miniature golf course in Jupiter, Florida. With that kind of attitude, you're never going to be able to play high school golf. And so now he's, he's raising his voice at his son, who then begins to weep yeah. loudly mm. for, for the record. And he's saying, look at you. You can't handle criticism. We're going to go home. And I'm thinking to myself, has it gotten to the point that we're now chastising six or seven-year-olds for how they perform on the miniature golf course? Now, I recognize this was not a miniature golf tour where there were hundreds of parents right. this was a one-off but i saw it and again this guy's six or seven years old and the, the father i would guess is in his 30s or 40s and he has his son weeping on the golf course because he says with the way he is playing and his attitude over missing a putt he is not going to be able to handle high school golf which is you know about eight nine years away an all-timer, oh an absolute God. all-timer. I understand that parents can be passionate. I totally understand. I'm not, and I'm not chastising parents for being passionate. Um, but on the miniature golf course, on an afternoon where there's virtually no one around to have your child in tears over the way he's performing on the miniature golf course, it was an all-timer. And I honestly don't know if I will ever see anything i sure i'm going to see some things where i go oh boy that's rough but the context being it was a putt putt course for the love of peter oh my god yeah that's unbelievable um that is an all-timer because like you said this is mini golf the six or seven year old is a long way away from playing high school golf and i think what parents don't understand is how counterintuitive something like that is i think they think that they are you know motivating inspiring their children but what that really does it's a deep psychological thing when they think of golf courses they're going to think of stuff like that they're going to associate golf courses or whatever sport it is with that interaction between the parent, then they start to play scared. They play nervous that they're going to yell at. And that's not how kids should be playing sports. They should be playing to have fun, with confidence, uh, understanding that they're not perfect, that mistakes will happen. But when you associate stuff like that with being yelled at, it really messes you up long term. And so I think it's very counterproductive. That's what I, it's actually essentially what I said to my wife when, when it was going on. I said, God, they have no idea, but consciously or subconsciously, this incident 
will stay with this six, seven year old boy for a very long time. And, and I, you know, I mean, I really felt badly. It wasn't anything I was going to get in the middle of. I just, I right. saw it going on and I, and, and it, you know, you, you would think it was a joke because again, we're a putt putt course. But then when I saw that the kid was actually crying, I go, Oh my God, this is, this is real. And then he's threatening to remove him from the golf course. Oh my God. If he doesn't get his head on straight and start focusing because with this kind of attitude, you'll never be able to play high school golf. And I'm going, how, I wonder how it gets to this. Like how, how does it arrive for a, a parent to even be thinking about high school golf when you're on a putt-putt golf course what, on what I would assume is vacation? Maybe it's not. Maybe they frequent it and they were really trying to go low that day. I don't know. But I'm thinking to myself, this is the kind of crap that you might not remember uh, when somebody asks about, but it but it shapes you subconsciously, psychologically. Oh, 100%. Yeah, totally. The association you're going to have for that child growing up. And, you know, it's – and I think – I guess the root of it, it might just be hereditary in the sense that their parents yelled at them and, and did that to them. So it's kind of you, – you kind of fall into old habits in a sense. But also some kids are probably – who've experienced that will then take that information knowing how much it affected them and do the complete opposite. So you'd hope there would be a reversal that the kids growing up with being yelled at by parents for mistakes on a mini golf course is so extreme, but, um, but you'd hope that that the tide would turn on that and they would understand that that's not how, and it's not a great strategy to coach a child. If you want them to be successful, it's not screaming at them at every mistake. It's encouraging when they do something well and being constructive in criticism uh, maybe in a game or in a round of golf as opposed to a, a fun time at the putt-putt course? Uh, a lot of reaction on the topic. That parent is clueless, and I feel super sorry for the kid. It's going to take years psychologically for that kid to even think about stepping on a real golf course, and I pray to God that uh, he gets it straightened out, and I pray that he has an opportunity to go out and have fun playing the game of golf first and foremost about anything else. But psychologically, the parent has just played a role in really hurting his child uh, from the 917. It is a repeated behavior. This fella needs some therapy. Uh, that is from the uh, 917. Um, guys, my guess is dad got cut from his golf team. That's from <laughs> the 636. Yeah, considering I got cut from every team, if I were trying to to uh, help that uh, be avoided by my children, we'd be playing football, soccer, or baseball, and basketball daily to try to avoid avoid it happening. And listen, man, I, I want to, I'm, I'm not the judge and jury on how sure. to raise kids at all. I want to make that crystal clear. And obviously I'm not naming names. I don't know the names. I mean, this was a random putt-putt course. Uh, but when I saw it, I thought to myself, you know, it's something that we've talked about on the show, but I never thought I would see this. I, inevitably, you know, if my, my kids do play sports, we're going to see things and that's fine. And I'm not going to, every time something happens, run to the radio and talk about it. That's a different deal. You know, this is, this is a miniature golf course. Um, but I'm thinking to myself, how in the world on a miniature golf course is this being used as the avenue to teach a life lesson to the point that the child is in tears. So that is, uh, that is what I think will be one that will be tough to pass up. I suppose, I hope I don't see anything worse than that. 
because if I see something, oh, God, that's worse than the guy on the putt-putt course, well, yeah. then that means I really uh, will have seen something. Uh, Tim, I think it was a good lesson. The kid now knows he needs to have a better short game. That is from the five seven three. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe do that on the real golf course. Maybe on the putt-putt course you reserve that for just some fun. Uh, that's my take. Sounds like a, a young dad and his first kid. I see it all the time in travel baseball. That is from the six one eight. Yeah, I don't know. Now, I mean, it was it was a, it was a it was a I assume a father with his two sons, and one of the sons was on the receiving end of the uh, the beratement over the way he was conducting himself on the putt putt course. Three one four three nine 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 six four six Air Comfort Service text line. That's how you can get involved on the show. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson, with you now. BK and Ferrario coming up in ten minutes. This is Balloon Party, driven by Munganess St. Louis Acura on one one ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. This is Balloon Party. This is driven by Munganass, St. Louis Acker, and Alton Toyota. 101 ESPN, Tim McKernan with you to the top of the hour. Jeff Passan writing this morning on his Major League Baseball predictions team by team, Jackson. Uh, he has for the Cardinals the following uh, projections for the upcoming campaign. Why the season hinges on which player do you think he selected for this question? Why the season hinges on who? My gut says Jordan Walker, but I'm going to say Wilson Contreras. No, I'm sorry. The answer is Jack Flaherty. Mm. Uh, One of the most talented pitchers in baseball. The 27-year-old has thrown only... 114 and a third innings the past two years. He's set to hit the free agency, uh, free agent market after this year and could not only pitch himself into a nine-figure deal, but could make the Cardinals an extremely dangerous team come October. That is uh, what he writes regarding the season hinging on Jack Flaherty. I've been in attendance for two of Jack Flaherty's starts this year, and I want to make, I want to, I really want to emphasize this because. I, I feel like there's inevitable hypocrisy isn't the word, but most likely d- double standard would be more fitting that if somebody is performing well and you are a fan of that team or you are covering that team for a particular market, then you talk about the spring training numbers. And then if somebody is not performing well, you go, well, it's just spring training and he could be working on something. So you see what I'm saying? Right. It can be kind yeah. of whatever fits the narrative reasoning yes so you know I, I saw him pitch two Saturdays ago the Jordan Walker shoulder game uh, Walker by the way four for 20 since that shoulder injury he is in the lineup and hitting third for the Cardinals today against the Marlins at Roger Dean Stadium uh, but Walker four for 20 but Flaherty it's not that Flaherty has looked bad per se he did give up nine hits yesterday in that Nationals lineup certainly not overwhelming I, I would also say uh, that you know, that doesn't mean that he is going to be a mess, but it is also important to point out that he hasn't by any means looked dominating. And if the season hinges on him, that would be something that I would then be shorting the Cardinals if, 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 if that were the case. But I don't feel like the season hinges on Jack Flaherty. He says, what is the best bet for the Cardinals? Nolan Arnato over 27 and a half home runs at minus 115. The last time Arnato did not hit at least 30 home runs in a season was 2014. Take the money and thank me later. We were going through those a couple days ago. 
And I remember when I got to that, I thought to myself, boy, that strikes me as odd that it's only 27 and a half, especially when Goldschmidt's at 30 and a half. Uh, so I agree with Passon on that. Uh, he said, how to win your fantasy league? Pick Brendan Donovan because he qualifies at first base, second base, third base, and outfield. He posted close to a 400 OBP last year. And between the versatility and the numbers, he's the sort of player everyone could use. And then finally, Jackson, getting to who you addressed a little early on, who is next? He writes, Jordan Walker is among baseball's best hitting prospects, and the Cardinal depth shouldn't preclude them from finding an everyday spot for him in their outfield slash DH rotation. And just this morning, uh, Ali Marmol saying that he is open to a platoon with that outfield. I have been of the opinion this entire month that Jordan Walker is going to start the season in St. Louis at this point. I think most people think that that is the case. The question then becomes who plays in the outfield. And Marmol saying this morning he is certainly open to a platoon with Newt Bar O'Neill Carlson and Jordan Walker. And for the record, Walker is in right field today for the Cardinals as they take on the Marlins. Time for us to shut it down. BK and Ferrario are up next for Action Jackson. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party, driven by Munganess, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.